our brand stories, get inspired and learn from thought leaders, CEOs, business owners, managers, entrepreneurs, and experts who tell their brand stories and share their first-hand insights. For all brand lovers, this show is to help you develop and grow your brand in a more intentional, strategic, and most of all, authentic way, locally and globally. Whether it's your personal brand or company brand, or whether you want to brand your product, service, or cause. Welcome to Brands Talk. I'm your host, Brigitte Bakowski. I'm the founder and owner of Bridget Brands. I help my clients craft meaningful strategies that effectively elevate their brands to unleash their full potential and shine. Walk the talk. Let's get started and dive with me into the world of brands. My guest today is Dan Goodwin. Before he was bitten by the entrepreneur bug, Dan finished 19 years at a Fortune 100 company, where he served as a regional security manager. While there, he conducted internal investigations, including fraud, theft, and human resources issues. After Dan left corporate America, he started several businesses, including security consulting, real estate, coaching, and mentoring. In his current businesses, Dan uses his investigative background to assist business owners and corporate management teams research and obtain information to move their businesses forward, and mainly providing business advisory and consultancy services primarily for businesses as they prepare for scale-up opportunities. He says he's 21 with 36 years of experience, has one favorite wife, two kids, three grandkids, four grandkids, one granddog. Oh my God, that's going to be a fun conversation today. I warmly welcome Dan Goodwin. Welcome to Brent's Talk. Hey, thank you, Bridget. It's very nice to be here. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And yes, that everything you've described turns into total, total chaos when all the kids and the animals are all together. I can imagine. Absolutely. So, Dan, you have an interesting story to tell. Your corporate career started in the mailroom and you made it to the top. Please, would you like to share this story with us before we go into all things bulletproof? Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I've went to counseling to try to forget some of this, but I'll bring it up one more time. Okay. Good. So, yeah. I started with a local division of telecom company here in the United States, and I did start in the mailroom. It's funny because my dad and my uncle, two of my uncles actually worked for the parent corporation, and they found, my dad found this job and said, oh, you're in between right now. You ought to just work in this mailroom. So I did, and I found myself uh, delivering mail, getting a feel for business, getting a feel for tel the telecom business specifically. And an opportunity came up about a year later, and I became a security assistant. And that's a fancy way of saying I was a paper pusher because I, I was helping compile call detail records for criminal and civil issues that for, you know, that were our clients, our customers. So I did that for about three years. And when I got promoted to the 
position of security investigator. So that's really where the investigative piece of my career started. And we did do those investigations for fraud and theft and embezzlement and sexual harassment and all the other human issues you have when you have a large, a large population of people together. I did that for about... I'm trying to think that was about a five-year training for my next position. And I became a regional security manager. Now, then that's a fancy way of saying I had five states here in the Midwest that I was responsible for. And the computer forensics team reported directly to me. So, yeah, that was that was the short version of 19 years right there. Wow, 19 years. You made a decision. You left corporate America in 2007. You founded CYA Consulting. It's called Cover Your Assets. This implicates already some meaning and you chose your company brand name very intentionally. Why did you chose this name? Well, CYA, it may have a different meaning to some of the people tuning in, depending on what what geographical area they're in. I've always been pushed the boundaries type of a person, even as a young child and mischievous and a little cheeky. So cover your assets was the CYA part was the the gigging at uh, professionalism. However, that you know, there is a deeper meaning behind that. Because really, there's three C's on there. It's cover your assets, curate your assets, and circulate your assets. And that speaks to longer play, a longer goal. Because the fact is, if you don't cover your assets, whatever your assets are, your business, your life, your personal things, there's nothing to curate and there's nothing to leave as legacy and circulate when you're gone. So that's the story behind CYA. Yeah. I always like to listen to the story of how you arrive at a brand name because there is so much thinking going into it. There is so much meaning that such a brand name usually conveys. Just think about all these big brands. They all have a meaning attached to it. So let's jump back to starting your business. You have gone through this whole transformation of becoming a business owner. How difficult or how easy was this journey for you to starting your own business? What did you take away with learnings? And why? Why did you start it? I want to know why. What's the purpose? Well, the why is a, a simple one word answer, burnout. Okay. <laughs> so that was, I was so ready. I counted one time, Birgit, that in 19 years of being in the telecom business, I uh, survived 23 or 24 merger and acquisitions. Because if you remember in the 90s and early 2000s is when all of the telecom mergers were happening. Everybody was being gobbled up. Lots of drama. I think at one point in the in our system, we had 88,000 employees worldwide. So that's quite a few. We had 27 people on the investigations team spread out all over the United States. So that, that that in itself, what kept us busy. So that was the, the why was the burnout. I was tired of dealing with um, people's bad decisions, bad judgments that would cause me to have to get on a plane and go visit with them about whatever had gone wrong or gone mm-hmm. sideways. That's really the why. And then the really... The rest of the story is I did not go into my entrepreneurial career with the idea of opening consultancy. 
in staying with the investigations piece, I really had launched into real estate. And as I had gotten my license, I was working with investors. And if you remember in 2007 is when worldwide, the housing market, real estate market crashed. And I found myself advocating for people who were facing foreclosure and I was negotiating short sales with banks. So I was able to actually use my negotiating skills that I used in my professional life and then went forward with that. So that's, and then to see what the consulting piece was just an outgrowth of I was gone from Sprint and I had family and friends that had small and medium-sized businesses. And they also had human issues of fraud and theft and <laughs> human issues and embezzlement. And they didn't have anybody to call and they would call me and I would help them work through these issues. So that's a burnout, <laughs> other projects, and then getting pulled back into consulting work, basically using the skills that I learned in my corporate life. So was it an easy road or a bumpy road, this transition? It, it was not easy. It was bumpy. There's a lot of things I uh, wish I would have learned before I pulled the trigger. I think my wife would agree with that too. There's lots of things that should, <laughs> should have been fleshed out more. And actually, I find myself for people that call me or contact me and said, you know, I'm getting ready to retire. I'm looking for a second career, encore career, golden career, whatever you want to call it. And I give them the lessons that I learned. I ask them enough probing questions so that they're at least thinking about these things. It not, And I'm not trying to change their decision to leave. I'm just helping them make sure that they've thought about the aspects of leaving and where those holes need to be filled in. Yeah, I think that's helping them a lot because you can shorten the journey, even though they have to go through it themselves, but they're already aware of it. They have a sense of there is something coming up and I'm now exactly in that situation. How do I manage it to get out of that yeah, in the best possible way? All right. Yeah. Good. So I want to dig deeper into interrogation and how we can use that. Then you have a unique approach to research, engagement, and specific investigative techniques that serve you well as you draw upon all these thousands of interviews you completed over your corporate and entrepreneurial life. As business owners, but also as managers, we often need exactly these skills to interview the potential target clients we want to serve or the staff we want right. to hire or to find out whether this is the right business partner we want to collaborate with. So how can we best prepare ourselves to interview, for example, a potential client we want to target in order to really serve them best, to get an understanding of them? What are their needs? What are their strongest pain points, their real wants and desires? Would you shed some light on your techniques and could you give us a list of the most important steps to consider so that we can arm ourselves with a viable structured process going into such <laughs> interviews to obtain exactly that info that we want and need. Yeah. Well, you've asked about 20 questions there. So yes. I'll just start back at the, be at the beginning. Just a little, just a quick recap. In 95 was when I was able to go to the, it's called the John Reed School of Interview and Interrogation in Chicago. That's basically where I found my formal formalized training, learned how to interview skills and a little bit of sales 
a little bit of psychology, a lot of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. I didn't know that's what it was called, but that's really where I cut my teeth and learned a structured method of actually how to interface with people, how to get in rapport quickly with people, how to make people feel that they were seen and heard and validated, that they had a safe space to share information, that I really was there to get their side of the story. These lessons learned, I've taken those forward with me and I've helped other business owners and other management teams and executive teams as they've gotten ready to make some sort of a shift. Scale up, obviously, is the sweet spot I like to play in. That that piece of it, those skill sets are invaluable, especially in how you treat people and that you treat them with respect and validate them as human beings, no matter if you agree with them, they've done something dastardly, right? You still have to walk out of there with the fact that you've interfaced with another human being and hopefully that you have conveyed that they are worth, they have worth. Anyway, why well, I kind of went off the philosophical end there. <laughs> well, it speaks to the psychology and it speaks to the character of the people that you deal with. And listen, I've had terrible people that I've interviewed that I would say bordered on evil and they don't stick around. They walk out the door. That's fine. We just have to go with information that's presented to us, you know, and uh, you don't want to do it just draw that parallel to business owners interviewing clients or potential play. You don't want to deal with those people anymore. They don't match your energy. They don't match mm -hmm. your goals, your vision. All right. Now, I think I answered three or four of those roundabout. What, what specifically, what would you like for me to touch on next? Yeah. So I think there is a kind of a structured process when you go into interviews. Yeah, into qualitative methods, which an interview is. So how do you start? It's like warm-up questions and then you go more into the general questions and then in the specific questions, some demographics that you need to know in order to make sense of things. How do I do that? Do you have any best practice advice to set up such a questionnaire guideline and then, yeah, to how to approach a person and how to go with a person through that. And how long should such an interview be if I want to okay. figure out, is that an ideal client that I want to serve? So here's what I would suggest first is that you establish some baseline questions so that you can get some baseline behaviors. So there are things that I could ask you, Brigitte, that it would be, you know, your name, maybe your, you know, if, if it's an employment situation, you know, your present position, how long you've been there, who's your supervisor. These are things that are automatic responses from somebody that they, it doesn't take a lot of thought to answer mm -hmm. them. And what you're doing is you're observing the person and you're observing their body language, their behaviors, if they've got any nervous, you know, behaviors, any ticks or anything, any tell, as they say in the biz. And that really helps you that when you get to other questions, if you see a huge delta, a huge difference mm -hmm. between those, then you may have something that you need to further ask, right? Yeah. Uh, the numbers here, 738.55, 7% the, are the words we speak. And then 38% is tonality and 55% is nonverbal. Yeah. So when you're working with somebody 
And you see this difference in nonverbal behavior doesn't mean it's necessarily deceptive. It just means it probably needs a little more layering, a little more filtering to figure out what needs to be asked next. Yeah. And that, because everybody's got an agenda and they've got to check all the boxes, especially HR people. They want to check all the boxes that they ask this question and it's yes, no, yes, no, or other explain. And as a business owner, you need to look deeper than that, than just what's on an application. Even if you're talking to somebody and they've sent in a questionnaire ahead of time, the way you handle that is you review that questionnaire and say, oh, bring it, hang on just a second. Before we get started, I just want to confirm this and this. And you use that checklist as your way to establish baseline behaviors. So you may not have to be writing all that down again. In fact, it would save time if you didn't. But there is a way to use previously provided information just to do the gut check. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I can preach on about that for a while. Awesome. I think that was really eye-opening just to remind ourselves that there's 7% only that the word counts, basically. Then 38% tonality and then the 55% of nonverbal. So we really need to read into the mind and then not only the mind, but it's the whole person that is in front of us that we have to understand and then make sense of that and then go deeper and to really get an idea about the person we want to serve at the end of the day, to right. get an idea what right. their real needs are. And it's understanding what they don't know they actually know. We go very much into the unconsciousness of the person. Right. And I will say that this is why I have a, an SOP, a standard operating procedure. I don't do any business meetings unless it's video. I mean, in real life, yes, in real life. But the last two years, 90% of my business is right here behind the camera. And if you'll notice, I'm looking straight through the camera to you. I see you on my screen, but I also know that when I do these business meetings, I record everything so that if I do have a question at some point in the interview or the meeting, I can go back and look. Now, when I said that, what did she do? What was her reaction? Did that comment land? Did she flinch? This Here's my rule. There's nothing that seeks to be misunderstood more than a text message or an email because you cannot hear the tone and you cannot see the body language in which is being delivered. So important that we have this, this conversation via video. I, and I had a gentleman the other day. I have a disclaimer on my Zoom rooms that this is being recorded, whether it says it is or not on Zoom, it's being recorded. And he threw a hands up. No, I'm not comfortable with that. Okay, not a problem. Let's just call it a day and go on. And we didn't have the conversation. And I was okay with that. <laughs> so anybody that's not willing to lean into a conversation and talk about a potential business relationship, JV partnership, affiliate, whatever it is, it's okay. You make that business decision for you. I'll make it for me. So anyway, now you've got me ranting again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to wrap this up, are there any pitfalls we shall bear in mind not to fall into by all means when we conducting interviews? Well, you know, 
interviews. So when you use the word interview to me, I'm thinking HR. So obviously you have HR considerations. When I have conversations, which is our partnership possibilities, that's what I like to talk about. Yes, be aware. Don't feel like you have to put all of your cards on the table, right? On the in the first conversation. Ask more questions than you are asking. Remember, whoever's asking the questions is in control of the conversation. They really are. And then let let the conversation flow naturally. You may come out with 20 questions out of the starting gate. However, when you take the time to truly listen, reflect, and then take that path where it needs to go, and you discover something about the person that's not on their LinkedIn profile or is not widely known, then that connects you more deeply with them at the human level, yeah. especially if you find something you can appreciate about their passion, their vision, what they do for fun, what nonprofit are they helping with on the weekends. That conversation is just being a good listener and a good human. I want to take that to the next level now, because it is not only about research, about data, about facts and numbers. It's not always about logical reasoning, right? So there is more. And it takes, as you say, grit and use of intuitive skills. So there is this interplay of rationality and intuition that makes us whole and helps us arrive at good decision-making. Can you dive deeper into that whole context of intuition and about logical reasoning and how that all comes together? Okay, wow. We're going to need another week. <laughs> But I think that's uh, so, important that we also need to listen to what our instinct is telling us at the moment. Yeah. Well, there are people that would say intuition is something that's innate or you grow. And I agree that there's probably a little truth to that. What I've learned, and I consider myself to be intuitive, what I've learned is you can train that up to a certain point and you can become better at it. You really can. So when I always, so when I, so, so I'll use it. I'll give you an example. I had a business owner call one time and said, I think my executive assistant is skimming, is, you know, embezzling. And I said, well, John, not his real name, by the way. I said, John, you know, when did you suspect this was an issue? And he said, about three months ago. Hmm. And I said, well, go get you a mirror and look in the mirror. And anything that happened from 90 days till today, the person responsible is in the mirror because you didn't ask the crucial or the even the confrontational question because you were uncomfortable because this is your best friend from high school. This is your brother-in-law. This is your best friend. This is, you know, somebody that was recommended by somebody you trusted and your biases towards that relationship overcame your judgment on pushing forward to getting to the bottom of it. That's a tough lesson to learn sometimes. And when I talk to people and they get emotionally wrapped up, 
Like this was a relationship, emotional wrap. It was a best friend or whatever. When they get wrapped up in that, it puts their critical thinking skills on the back burner, right? And God knows the world needs more critical thinking skills right now. When we are approached with a business issue and it is delivered with emotion and it's delivered with emphasis and maybe loudly, you believe it right away? Do you want to believe it? See, that's the issue is we want to believe it so bad sometimes that it overcooks the logical piece of it. So that's where I think you were going between logic and intuition. How do you manage that? And how do you step back and do a pattern interrupt on that piece of it? Yeah. So how do we best manage it now? What is a good approach of how to figure out what do I do in this situation right now? And first of all, being aware of that. Well, awareness is half the battle. So the pattern interrupt question that I always go to is when somebody comes at me hard with an emotional statement, you ask, you know, the Socratic method, you use the question, well, how would I know if that wasn't true? And that forces you to take it out of your head and look at it and defend it, examine it from the other point of view. Now, you can use that with people to gently challenge them times, sometimes not so gently, but you can gently challenge them that you come at me and you give me a hard statement. I said, well, bring it. I'm curious. How would you know if that wasn't true? Because when we use, when all of the chemicals cut loose in our brain and we are wrapped in tight emotion, it negates critical thinking. And there has to be some way to stop that. Feeling is not thinking. Feeling is feeling. So anyway, we could go down that, that rabbit trail for a while. But I'm just, I'm letting you know that how you feel about something doesn't make it true. You really must take a step back mm -hmm. and examine the facts and then double check yourself. And this is so easy nowadays. Take any emotional subject, any social issue, any political issue. I'm not going to name any more. You can use your imagination. Anything that's in the news, whatever that is, you can use your imagination. And when you, when you abdicate your critical thinking skills to someone else, be that a social media channel, a news organization, uh, a business journal, whatever. When you abdicate your critical thinking, then you are basically parroting and repeating the programming that they are giving you. And my challenge to everyone is do your own thinking. <laughs> do your own thinking and don't accept truth from anybody. Don't even accept truth from me. Research it. Make sure it's you. Make sure you get back to source data. Make sure you fact check it and then fact check the fact checkers to make sure that they're good. Also, anyway, you can't do that at infinitum. You know, you've got to, at some point you've got to say, OK, based on the research I have at this point in time, I'm going to go with this position. Awesome. So, anyway. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good. Now we come to the choosy stuff of our talk where we need critical thinking skills. It carries also the title of our show today, how we can bulletproof our brain. So how can we protect our brain from intellectual property infringement, copyright issues, etc.? What are the activities for protecting our brain? What are the first steps to take here? 
My so when I have somebody come to me and they say I'm going to, and I still work with startups occasionally, so I'm always on the cusp. A lot of the people I work with are thinking about modifying or changing or pivoting their brand, or they're getting ready to merge, right? They're getting ready to do the M&A, the dance, and figure out, you know, who came out on top with the, the branding and or the new design. So the first thing is be very methodical in your research. Look, and here's, the, here's what I tell people. You got free tools and you got paid tools. And then guess what? You have experts in the field. And I am not the expert in the field, but I'm going to refer you to one probably because the obvious things you should be able to find on the internet. You should be able to find like that first level, that first scoop level. Make sure that you're not infringing. Make sure no one has a variation on it. Or if they do, that you can make it differentiated. So that that would be my first suggestion. And then I, I used to have a presentation, the seven secrets that you should have known about your employee. And at the end of every slide, <laughs> at the bottom, I would have the hook question. Now, can you do this? Can you do this yourself or is it time to hire a professional? And obviously the answer is after seven slides of that and about five questions per slide, they're tired of it. They're tired of the question because they know, oh my God, this is so much work. <laughs> and I've got to go hire a professional. So that's my short answer is obviously if you've got an idea, you want to start researching it. Yes. At the end of the day, invest in yourself, invest in your business and make sure you're not that nobody's going to have a claim at the end after you become it's not a problem until you become successful yeah i think that is critical thank you so much yeah ask yourself can i do it myself or do i need to hire a professional yeah ask yourself all the time this question all right so now i want to switch gears a little bit you recognized and managed tremendous personal emotional growth in your life through all the life stages, the ups and the downs and the wins and the setbacks and the detours, which ultimately made you what you are today. And that is being in your sweet spot. And I can feel that you love what you're doing and thereby you are in your best version. What does a strong personal brand mean to you in that context? So strong personal brand is... When you own that and your reputation within the, whatever expert in the field you're going to do, mm. that you have integrity. For me, it's in my investigative, you know, interviews. It is in my research. You know, people say, well, this is what I believe in. Why? Well, that's just the start of the investigative research for me, and, you know, until I can either affirm that or I can find contradictory data points. And re remember, Brigitte, two reasons people ask questions. Affirmation of a deeply held belief, which, yeah, the, this shirt makes me look awesome. So <laughs> I'm affirming that I'm fishing for a compliment or that they're seeking new data points. They stay genuinely curious about life. And then the reason people don't ask questions, they're not seeking new data points because then they have to process new information, which has consequences if they do something or they don't do something. <laughs> and then it's a cascade because for the most part, we're comfortable in our bubble. 
And we don't want anybody to bust that bubble. We don't want anybody to insert anything. That is not a way for growth. And my my encouragement, especially to business owners who are getting ready to scale up, that they're getting to tweak their brand or promote it bigger, is always be seeking new data points, new information. Make sure, ask your friends, ask your family, ask your clients, ask your customers, ask your employees. What does this brand mean to you? How do you protect it? How do you grow it? And the whole thing about the personal branding is we are wrapped up into our personal branding. We become the face of the company and we become the character of our company. And that's so important. And I think people, they get, they stray sometimes and they forget they have the success and then they do something stupid. And believe me, there are enough naysayers out there ready to jump on anything stupid you do or say. Anyway, you've got me preaching once again. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any helpful advice, like three pieces of advice, how we can bulletproof our personal brand and be in this growth mindset? So the first thing I would say is there are skeletons in your closet that you drag them out and you smash them with sledgehammers <laughs> that sometimes we... Sometimes those things play bigger in our head than they are. I would remind every person that every entrepreneur has failed businesses. If they don't, they're lying because I have failed businesses and projects. We're not perfect. We need to cut each other some grace, mercy, and love. So that would be the first thing. Now, if the skeleton is too big to smash with the sledgehammer, then I suggest you have a narrative ready for that. You know, explain it. This bad thing happened five years ago. It's never happened again. This is what we did to, you know, to address it, fix it, you know, fluff it up, whatever that is. So deal with it. Sometimes those skeletons are a bigger deal to you than they are to anybody else because yeah. it stays in our head. We play that failure over and over in our head. And my thing is, use the failure as a stepping stone to never make that mistake again. By the way, there are some people I work with that are determined to make their own mistakes. <laughs> and I know that everyone watching or listening has those same people in their life. No matter what you tell them, they're determined to make their own mistake. So that would be a thing to get that out and then focus on the future, have goals, have be organized, you know, to bullet. This is all to bulletproof your brand, to make sure that you have gathered all the data points. You brought them together in some sort of coherent package and then full speed ahead. Once you've got all of those hatches battened down, full speed ahead. Awesome. Beautiful. I take that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Before we wrap it up today, I would like to ask you um, some rabbit fire terms. It's like something oh, okay. that comes up out of the blue in that very moment. Are you ready? So, well, now the last time I had somebody, I was at the, at the doctor's office, they were doing word association. Is that what you're talking about here? Yes, exactly. Quick, quick word wrap. <laughs> All right. I'm bringing it on. I'm ready. I bring it on. Interrogation. Stickler. Okay. Due diligence. Smart. Okay. Women empowerment. Love it. I should say the future. There we go. Wow. Okay. Brands. Reputation. Okay. Good. 
Then thank you so much. Where can listeners find you if they want to get in touch with you to help them bulletproof their brain? <laughs> oh, so the playground I play in is LinkedIn. You can find me there, Dan Goodwin, CYA Consulting. That's the easiest way to reach me. And that is exactly, I'm in there 95% of my day at my communications. At least that's where to start the conversation. Obviously, we move it off that platform at some point, but that's where you can find me. And that's where I can be found. And that's where I play every day. I love this platform. It helps me so much to grow my business. And I'm busy also every day in there. Dan, thank you so much for being my guest today on Brands Talk. It was a real pleasure having you to learn about how we can arm ourselves for interviews to obtain exactly what we want and need to move our businesses forward and to learn how we can bulletproof our organizational and personal brains. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Dan Goodwin. If you like my show, follow Brands Talk on your preferred app, share it on social media, and if you find a minute or two, leave a quick rating or review. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about me and my services, head over to BridgetBrands.com and get inspired. If you need support in becoming a strong and truly authentic brand, drop me an email. I'd love to be your guide on your hero journey. I hope you will stay tuned in on the next episode when we dive into the world of brands.